0: Hello everyone, just Tito here today, no Mike, and that's because we have something a bit different from our usual viola station. We got in touch with some excellent writers who cover various Serie A teams for SB Nation, and had a pleasant chat about this past season covering topics like best players, biggest disappointments, and the refereeing. Really, all the things you'd expect us to talk about. It was enormously fun to make, and we're hoping to do this gathering of the clans more often, because it's very helpful to get some new perspectives on the season. Anyways, huge thank you to everyone involved, and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome. Ten best English language Fiorentina podcasts on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. All right, everyone. Welcome to the second SB Nation Stereo Blog Idiots podcast. This time we've got five of us here to look back over the season that was, and was, and was for a little bit longer. I'm Tito, I'm the site boss at Viola Nation, and going around in order on the Zoom call, we've got David, who is a contributor at the Serpents of Inter, Jeffrey, who is a contributor at the AC Milan Offside, Brendan, who is the Lord Commander, Chiesa di Tati, And Danny, who is the overlord at Black and White and Red all over. Now that we've got the formalities out of the way, let's uh, get down to brass tacks. (laughs) (laughs) So I figured we would just go ahead and answer questions going around in this Zoom circle of despair. And so let's start off with kind of a big one. For you, David, what was the best moment of the season in Serie A for the league as a whole?
1: Well, as an Interfane, it would have to be the comeback against Milan. But league-wide, it would definitely be Hellas Verona's 2-1 win against Juventus. It was in front of a packed um, Marcantonio Bentengodi, and the atmosphere was incredible. And Verona really showed that they were in Serie A to stay with that win.
0: I can definitely support both of those answers. Jeffrey, would you like to rebut?
2: Um, so, yeah, for me, I mean, I'm sure for you the inter result was great, but obviously as a Milan fan, not so great for me. Um, but my best moment of the season, um, if I can jump right in, was uh, just the fact that we had a title race, finally. So after years of Juventus dominating, finally we had a few teams who – Said, you know what, not this year. Maybe we can push you a little bit further, a little bit harder than ever before. So, having Lazio, Atlanta, and obviously Inter Milan fighting this year was just great to see. Unfortunately, Juventus still won in the end, which is um, painful for anyone not Juventus fans. However, yes, for me, definitely finally just having a title race, and hopefully next season, if the teams can strengthen further then, yeah, it'll be great to see that happening again.
3: Yeah, second bet. Brendan? Um, was the moment of the year, that's what we're talking about? Surely is. Yeah? Uh, I'd have to say moment of the year was just the uh, the ease with which uh, the restart came off without a hitch. I was uh, incredibly worried about that, you know, writing about it, um, seemingly ad nauseum every single day, like in January, or not January, excuse me, March and April, just thinking, you know, they're never going to do this, it's going to, it last, like, maybe two weeks, someone's going f- to get up like the Miami Marlins almost did for baseball. Um, but I was just really impressed how it ran off without a hitch and it got used to sort of the uh, empty stadiums. Um, I thought the broadcast went pretty well once they got rid of those stupid sort of fake placard cards and they made, sort of candle the noise. I thought it went pretty well. Um, I know that's not one specific moment. But when you consider that we almost lost the sport itself, I think the fact that they came back and did it without a hitch was great. Uh, In terms of my club, the only one moment that stands out was just a few weeks ago with um, Zaniolo's coast-to-coast goal against Spall. Uh, It was almost like a replay of what he did against Juventus minus the uh, rupturing of a crucial ligament. And speaking of Juventus, Danny, what you got? Uh,
4: I'll just piggy off of Bren. Uh, The the, the way the restart happened, I mean, I I think I wrote a few days beforehand just how – Worried I was about everything and then now looking back on it I'm wondering how the heck they got through it with very little drama if any. Those of us living here in the U.S. we're seeing what's going on with sports and everything and then you look at Italy and how they suppressed the virus and they were able to not only get you know the the sport back going up again but just life in general. Yeah I think just the ability to Finish the season and do it without any kind of outbreaks whatsoever. At least in the top league, was was pretty damn impressive. Uh, best moment for me was uh, team wise was definitely. Um, no offense to the, the inner, <laughs> the inner representative on the call, but those two wins over inner, especially the one at San Siro, was uh, was enjoyable. And then just how um, the first. Uh, Mauricio Sarri game against Napoli, how just absolutely wild that one was, and how it ended, especially, uh, was was pretty, pretty memorable. So, but yeah, I think I think just how the league handled the virus in general was definitely, um, after all of that drama before the games actually started. I think once the games got going again, once teams were traveling around and how they handled everything was was pretty pretty damn impressive. Yeah, that's a fair answer. I think for me.
0: Since, as a Fiorentina fan, you're not going to find a whole lot of joy in your own team. You really do have to look to other teams. And for me, that was Atalanta, just watching them score every possible goal, and then some also representing Bergamo, which got hit so hard by the virus, and then seeing the city really come together behind them, I thought was a beautiful representation of what makes sports a useful and powerful thing rather than a waste of everyone's time that just makes me cranky, usually. Yeah, seeing not a lot to push for the title, score all the goals, play really, really fun soccer, make the quarterfinals in the uh, Champions League. I, that, that is basically all you can ask for out of narrative in sports. And I was, I was very pleased to see it, even if it was not even remotely Fiorentina-adjacent.
4: And really just a couple minutes away from this semifinals as well, right?
0: You really have to wonder what would have happened if Papu Gomez hadn't been hurt and Joza Bilicic had been available. That could have been a whole different ballgame, but so be it. So having done best moments, let's go around and do some worst moments because we're all Serie A fans. We're all pessimists. David, you want to start us off?
1: Yeah, so I, I think the worst moment was more of a storyline, and it was how far Bessia and Spau were from the competition. They neither really looked capable of competing uh, in, in the league, and I think they both just go to show that an 18-team league wouldn't be a bad thing. I don't see Spau coming back up for a while.
0: Yeah, contraction is not always a great argument, but when it's Brescia and Spall, it makes a lot of sense, especially since it would let you shorten the season a little bit, which, you know, this year, next year, probably going to be a positive. How about you, Jeffrey?
2: So just as my best moment was the title race, unfortunately, when the title race came to an end, that's the worst moment for me this season. Um, I mean... Every other league, apart from the French League, has a new champion almost every other year. So it's a bit sad that I don't even know how many years now in a real event just have won the league. But That would be as nine. Soon as nine, okay. <laughs> <So> unfortunately, <laughs> nine years later, we still don't have a new champion. And um, yeah, I was disappointed when Lazio fell away. So after Milan defeated them and what could have brought them above Juventus or 1.2 uh, Juventus. After that game, they lost at the end of the season. They just crashed. They completely fell away. And that was it. The title race was over. Um, so, yeah, for me, definitely next year, I'm really looking forward to see what Lazio and Atalanta or Inter can actually do in terms of challenging. So I'm hoping to see a lot more revenue come into the Serie a. And um, especially Champions League money for Atalanta, Lazio. Um, hopefully they can actually invest that and start spending because Immobile, it's not every day Lazio are going to get such a great striker in their team. And um, they really need to start supporting him and then do their best to make sure that this, year's, this year is not a one-off season and uh, next year can be better.
0: One about the bottom, one about the top. Brendan, if you do something about the middle, I will be really impressed.
3: <laughs> uh, worst moment this season. Um, I got to say the perforation of tramp stamp uh, sponsorships on the jerseys are just hideous to me. We have Hyundai on ours, and they're just, they're just horrible from an aesthetic standpoint. I think every time I see those, I just picture like the Scandinavian Hockey Leagues where they have every single inch covered by ads. Um, but no, and a serious, serious tip, I would say just the, uh, continued incidence of racism. Um, you know, it's a problem, lots of places, but I, I mean, we follow the Italian league so closely. We, you sort of pick up on it quicker. You notice the patterns. I just, it's a shame that it still happens in the 21st century. Um, so broadly speaking, I think that's a troubling thing, but I have to agree with Jeffrey and say that, um, nine titles in a row for Juventus is just, uh, not a good thing for the overall health or viability of the league, it's becoming quite frankly a joke when the same team has such an enormous financial advantage. It's really turning the league into a laughing stock, and I think you're going to see their credibility and their standing among the rest of Europe slip even further. Um, and then just in terms of Roman perspective, the worst moment I think was our loss to Atalanta in February, that was really the death knell of our top four.
0: Danny, you look very excited to address all of the anti-juventus sentiment, so have at it.
4: Oh come on. I'm over the past decade you think I haven't gotten used to this? <laughs> the past nine years. You you you've seen our Twitter mentions sometimes to uh, Oh, God. Well
3: I <laughs> wouldn't say it's it's their fault. It's more a product of the way the league's set up and how what just an enormous yeah. financial advantage they have. They were able to build that stadium because they run that town. Whereas Rome, we've been working on for seven or eight years and every every other month they have to write about an update about some new vote and it's all just a bunch of bullshit. And it's really just Alarming and how long things take to get built, at least in that part of Italy, it sort of lives up to the stereotype in that way. So I wouldn't blame Juventus. They're sort of the um, the symptom of the problem. But congratulations to you. Thank you, Danny. Would you you like to tell us why we shouldn't blame Juventus and why you're wrong? Get one for the thumb next year, Danny. That's right.
4: I know. I know better than to not get you riled up about uh, stadium updates. So I won't touch that. Uh, I think. Other, you know, Brent mentioned the jerseys and I was going to say, you know, you've been to stitching their stripes for a year, but you know, that's, that's a year ago and now the stripes are back. So I can be in a good mood again. But um, I think, you know, I mentioned the, the good part of how they handled the virus. A bad part was how they handled the virus going into the shutdown with just how they postponed some games, but didn't postpone others. And then you see these, especially the European games, how, Teams traveling from Italy were you know kind of classified as biological time bombs almost um what was it Atalanta's game in Spain was kind of looked at that way with traveling fans um, and just just in general, how you know there really didn't seem to be much of a direction until they all of a sudden got an agreement which was. I think you know those of us who were really following it on a regular basis. I mean, I know Brent and I. It seemed like we were just writing updates about how it doesn't look like stuff was really going to happen. It, it seemed like for weeks it was just like, "Is this really going to turn into something that we're re- we're not going to see?" You know, the league start up again until say September or whatever. So, um, and then I'll I'll just throw in since you know three of us here on the on the call really try and take you know put some some attention towards the women's game and I know the the Milan blog does as well the way they handled their shutdown and restarting stuff or I guess not restarting stuff really you know right when the league was starting to get some momentum again and professionalism was looking like it was going to happen and then all of a sudden it's like nope we're just ending the season right there so um you know they could have been one of the few European women's leagues that got started back up, but in typical Italian fashion, the men take precedence over the women, and you know we're we're left to wait months for for the women's game to start back up. And I guess thankfully for us, you know here here in a few days it's going to be starting back up again.
0: I'm actually kind of mad at you now because you took. Did I take of, your idea? You took both of my talking <laughs> points, Danny. <laughs> You're welcome. Ah, I hate you so much right now.
4: Yeah, and yet you keep inviting me on your podcast.
0: I mean, that has more to do with the, you know, threats against my person, but inviting yeah. is a good word too. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the, the stop was handled really poorly. Seeing Fiorentina go up to Udine for that last game behind closed doors, and you could tell that everyone had no real interest in being there and wanted to go home and try to be safe. And it showed because it was two teams who were distracted. And I can't imagine how hard that must have been to go out there and run, especially back when we had no idea how the virus worked at all and what could spread it. So that that was not real cool. And yeah, the, the pushing back the women's professionalization or semi-professionalization as it may be was A huge bummer so let's get back to something a little more positive and let's do best of for four things uh david best goalkeeper best defender best midfielder best forward on the year
1: well goalkeeping i think samir hindanovich definitely gets the nod he kept the most shutouts of any keeper in the league and again, even at 36, is still proving to be the clear number one for Inter. I think he definitely showed that we do need to start looking for a successor because he had some mistakes late on in the season that were definitely avoidable. But for at least another season, he's a solid number one. And then... Defender, I think another Inter player, Stefan de is the best defender because Inter had the best defense in the league, and he played a huge part in that. And then I'm not sure if Papu Gomez counts as a midfielder, but if he does, he definitely is the best midfielder. He was huge for Atalanta. Up top, I think there's really only one answer, and that's Ciro Immobile, with 36 goals. He was unstoppable. And just he was huge for Lazio, and I'm very excited to see what he can do next season after this really incredible campaign. All good answers,
0: Jeffrey.
2: So I'm sure just to bounce off the last thing you said um, for attacker, I don't think anyone can choose anyone other than Immobile Um, 37, uh, 37 games, 36 goals, eight assists. And this guy's been doing it now for three seasons. So in the past three seasons, it's uh, 15 goals, at least in the Syria. And then I think 20 goals plus in all competitions. So yeah, what a player. And, um, I'd be very surprised if someone doesn't try and snatch him away from Lazio in the upcoming transfer market. But again, maybe he's going to stay. Maybe the last move away uh, made him reconsider. And he's probably happy in Lazio right now. And also they got Champions League football. So maybe there's a lot of reason for him to stay and uh, prove himself at the highest level. And um, if I can go back to goalkeeper, so... Maybe this is the part where everyone chooses their own team's players. Um, I really thought about it, and I couldn't help myself. I have to pick Donnarumma. Um, He's got 13 clean sheets this season, and um, when it comes to one-on-one penalties or one-on-one stop saving, I don't think there's anyone better, um, possibly in the world. But again, I'm biased. I'm a Milan fan. I can't help myself. That's the way it is. Um, so yeah, Donnarumma for goalkeeper. Um, defender. I was very happy this season with how Milan came back after the coronavirus. So after the restart and taking the whole Serie A into consideration, I think we finished in fourth place in terms of goals conceded. So you look at Milan; we finished in, um, you know, not a great position in the league. So to have the fourth best goal difference. Um, with goals conceded, is pretty great achievement, and um, the player I'd like to nominate for that was Care. Um, so we signed him for two point five million, and honestly, he played like a twenty million euro player. He came in and he kind of gave back what I think the league's been missing for a little while, which is grit, determination, and if you pick up a bloody nose, get on with it and then play a simple pass. It's not every day you see that now. Players get hit, um, they go down, and um, many can continue. But he did a lot this season for Milan. I think he was a great signing. And the midfielder as well. It's very hard for me to look past Milan again. So in the second half of the season, um, there are a few things I think about when choosing the best midfielder in the league. So I like to think of the powerhouses. Who's the guy that comes in, dominates the field, is stronger, fitter, and um, helps keep teams ticking. And um, usually you think of milinkovic savic Nangolan, Bintankar, but Cassie. every time he came head-to-head against these guys, he bulldozed them off the park. He was stronger, fitter. He just looked like a machine after the restart. So I was very, very happy with how he did. And it kills any transfer rumors about him. So... Six months ago, seven months ago, he was gone. I think Wolves were going to try and sign him for 20 to 30 million euro. He's unsellable now. So I think that says a lot when a player goes from halfway out the door to completely untouchable. Um, So yeah, for me, Kessie gets that vote. And um, like I said before, definitely Immobile for the attacker.
0: Maybe biased, but all very defensible. Brendan, what do, you, what do you
3: got for your top positional grades? Uh, well, I, I won't be picking too many Roman <laughs> players. Uh,
4: <laughs> I was waiting for that.
3: <laughs> uh, especially not in goal. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't play football until I was in my 20s, but I grew up playing hockey and I was a goalie, so I, I'm very um, critical of goalies it's not you know I like to like comparison between the two sports but it's close enough in terms of aggression and reading angles and things like that uh so my keeper of the year was probably Jordan from was it Brescia I think uh just looking at the stats he let in five fewer goals than he was expected to and I think if you consider he did that on one of the worst teams in the league that's pretty solid um so he's a gigantic Scandinavian goalkeeper so I fully expect Roman to sign him and I fully expect him to suck next year (laughs) <laughs> um, maybe no, you're I, available I, I
2: would, with your pass keeping experience.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I could be. Yeah, I, I'm not quite as tall as those guys. I tap yeah. out. I tap out. Good about, salary though. Yeah, that's true. Are you gigantic like, uh, yeah. and Scandinavian? No, I'm six feet and Italian. So I guess I could be cranio maybe. Uh, yeah, so I'd say Jordan. I would say Donarumma is pretty close. um you know, I, I let myself dream last year when there was all those rumors connecting him to Rome. I was like, that would be pretty sweet because he's so young and he's so good already.
2: Really? do to Roma?
3: That last year there was a bunch of, you know, you never know how much weight you could put in those, but it, it, I remember writing about it a few times. Uh, in defense, I will stick close to home and I will say Chris Smalling just because I was just looking over today and when they signed him, I did a um, just a quick interview with our uh, United colleagues on the Busby Babe and they were just uh, not optimistic at all. They basically said he can run and he's good in the air, but he can't do much else. And he was just a revelation for us all year long. I honestly think he's one of the best in defense. Um, I'll go along with if Papu can be considered a midfielder, I would choose him. I like guys who do a little bit of everything. And I think he had, like, what, 15 or 16 assists, something like that. Uh, and then my forward, I, obviously, you would Chiro Mova is the obvious choice, but I'll throw some love to Berardi. 14 goals and 10 assists, the only person to do a double-double. So I got to give it to him for that. Shocked that you're not picking a Lazio player in this, Brendan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of, uh, obviously I don't like them, but I'm sort of famous or infamous on my site for, um, I actually hate Inter worse, just from those string of second place finishes at the beginning of the, you know, during Mourinho and the treble was always so close. Uh, So that was sort of when I really became a serious fan. So I have um, sort of a vendetta against it, but no, I wouldn't pick Luis Alberto, even though he was great. Uh, manager, manager I will take Fonseca just because he's the best dress manager in the league. <laughs> Noticing some themes here with sartorial choices with you, Brendan. I just uh, hate ads on uniforms. These people are rich enough to need more money from Hyundai. I don't think so. It disgusts me. I'm sure I'm alone in that. I'm being pedantic on it, but I just hate it. It's disgusting. Roman shirts are so good and they're just littered with Qatar Airways and Hyundai. I don't want any part of that. Not I'm, for $120. I'm not going to fight you on that at all.
0: Danny, are you going to fight him on that or on anything else?
4: No, knowing what Juve's jerseys were this year, I can't really say much of anything. So, I um,
3: <laughs>
4: but, but would just yeah.
2: like to ask, um, for Berardi, does anyone think he makes a move to a larger team next season?
3: I think we've been asking that for like seven or eight years. <laughs> I, hope for his, I hope for his sake he does. i like to see what, he, what he's got in a different team. If Fiorentina counts as a larger team, maybe, but
0: probably not if we're being honest. But yeah, I think he's definitely got the quality, but it seems like he's pretty happy in Sassuolo, so I don't know
4: why. Yeah, that's that's been the whole thing with him. Is he happy being the big fish in a small pond, or is he really really willing to take that next step? But At least that's what it was when Juve had co-ownership of him, and then... He just he pretty much just decided to stay in Sassuolo, so I don't, I don't
2: Did know. he have a good season last season?
4: Did he have Does a good anyone season? Know. season?
2: Yeah. Has uh, he been consistent over multiple seasons or he's always hit and miss usually? I have a feeling maybe he's hit and missed, and maybe this season he was a lot better than usual.
3: Uh no, but. I got I got it up right now. So he did um fourteen goals, ten assists this year, and then last year was eight and four. So yeah, a little bit of a slip, but um yeah, I'm seeing goals. So 16, 15, 7, 5, 4, 8, 14. So he had a bit of a dip over the past couple of years.
0: Yeah, he, so it seemed like he really
3: stagnated over the past couple of years, but did got the
0: yeah. most out of all of his attackers, usually by letting the okay. other team just score and
3: bring it back to the center circle and restart <laughs> from there. And you got to think that they lost a lot of talent over the years, too. Once DiFrancesco left them, people started peeling off their players one by one. So I'm sure that had something to do with it.
0: I mean, I I think Sassuolo had a little bit of an outlier here. I mean, Chicho Caputo is probably not going to score, what was he, in the high teens in goals again, right, at 31. Uh, Yeah, I I think that Berardi is the kind of guy where if you buy him, he's not going to be able to replicate that. But I've also been really wrong about a lot of these things before, so I have no idea.
2: To cover yourself and say it's going to be great and it's going to be terrible at the same time.
0: That's basically the Fiorentina experience, so yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Except except for the first part. Anyways, Danny, uh, top goalkeeper, top defender, top midfielder, top forward. And please don't make it all Juventus players.
4: Well, knowing how they played defensively this year, I can't really make it all Juventus players. So, um, Although, knowing what DeLick did in the second half of the season, if he did that for a full season, I think he, he'd definitely be in the running. But uh, as much as I want to stay close to home for top goalkeeper, I'm going to go with Donnarumma. I mean, it seemed like every time I watched Milan, he was just making ridiculous save after ridiculous save. And like we've like we said before to think that he's this good at this age is uh pretty pretty scary once he, you know, hits his mid 20s which i mean it feels like he's been around for a decade already and he's still just in his early 20s so um yeah i think uh defensively i think smalling was a really good really good pick by Bryn. um and i mean he 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 made roma's defense just you know, that so much better than I think what anybody was expecting of him. And I mean, like, like the Busby guys, Busby babe guys mentioned, you know, the, the bar was kind of set so low with him knowing how disappointing he had been for United the last few years. And then all of a sudden he just finds new life in Italy. Uh, so I'll go with him. And then midfielder, um, if Lazio hadn't done what Lazio did, after the restart, I definitely pick Luis Alberto, but I mean, it's it's Papu for me because we've made him a midfielder here, so he's a midfielder in my book now. And then, um, I mean, it feels weird to to go against DiBala, knowing how good he was for the whole year. But I mean, Mobley had just one of those special seasons where you know who knows what he will be able to do the year after to try and recreate it. I mean, we we saw what. Higuaín did in his his career season at Napoli and then obviously it was you know not so not so high goal scoring tallies after that but I mean Immobile just had you know the career year and I think he kind of defined Lazio season in a way where it was just so much pushing against even their highest ceiling and then for him personally surpassing that um, I mean, he's always going to have that label of not a big game player, but I mean, he also scored what thirty six goals in a season. So, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty. He, he's, you know, I'll, I'll 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 be called a Ronaldo hater for all the Juventus fans who think I hate Ronaldo, but um, yeah, for me, it's for me, it's 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 Judo.
0: Can't even begin to argue with any of those. That was very well. <laughs> For me, I'm going to go a little bit more left field on a couple of these, starting with the goalkeeper. I think that Juan Musso at Udinese was incredible this year. I think he made the most saves in the league, and he made a, it wasn't just routine stuff. He made a lot of really good saves, like the highlight reel ones. I think because he plays in Udine, people don't really pay attention to him as much, which is fine because people shouldn't pay attention to Udinese because they are boring. But I think they... Probably would have been looking at relegation without him. I'm, I'm not looking at football reference with the stats or anything, but he saved a lot of bacon up in Friuli. For a defender, I'm going to echo Danny and Brendan. I thought Chris Smalling was incredible all year. I was really looking forward to lots of punchlines about him. And instead, I think that he was, from start of the year to end of the year, the steadiest, best guy there. If Papu's a midfielder, then yeah, he's the pick, obviously. I think he did play a lot deeper this year too, so you could maybe make the case. But, because there are no Fiorentina players who could possibly make this list, I'm going to do the next best thing and throw out Sofian Amrabat, who was incredible at Hellas Verona. He had some games where he bossed the midfield against much bigger teams. He's really fun to watch. He loves a little shoulder shake to make space for himself. Uh, he's a brilliant passer. He dictates tempo. I'm very excited to see him in Florence next year, obviously. And then for forward, it's got to be Chiro. No question for all the reasons y'all have already outlined. And I feel sort of bad about saying that because I think Josip Ilicic in any other year would probably deserve that shout because he was just Magnificent. Not that there's any bitterness from me about that.
3: Can I interject for a second and ask Danny a question? Please. Danny, I was just curious what you think of Dubala winning a league MVP but not being MVP of his own team. Who does that make oh, look worse, The league or <laughs> you? It? Uh,
4: well, let's see. Ronaldo didn't get the scoring title, he didn't get the league MVP. So you got to give him something, right?
3: That's probably in his contract, right, with, like, five free Jeeps a year. <laughs> I, just thought, I just thought that was very odd.
4: You're, you're not the only one who thought yeah. it was very odd. So, yeah, uh, yeah it – I don't know. I mean, it, it – who knows what the criteria really is for the team MVP. I know in years past they've maybe had a fan vote. I don't know. Don't hold me to that.
2: But, yeah, it's – I don't know. I mean, I didn't take I didn't take much credence in it. So, as a Milan fan, I think there's only really one Juventus player I can show any love to, and it is Cristiano. So, yeah, I don't mind him getting that MVP at all. I think that in terms of just bringing something to the team and maybe I am crazy by saying this, but was Dybala actually super amazing all season? I'm not entirely sure. I think he can do much better, but Maybe I'm being a bit harsh because he has such high expectations.
4: Knowing where he was last year and knowing that Juventus were trying to sell him, and very much, <laughs> they weren't denying it. So it wasn't just, you know, Tuto Sport trying to sell papers every day. Um,
2: yeah, Those I rumors think,
4: aren't dead, right? No, they're not. And that's, that's the frustrating, frustrating part is that he had a really good season this year and you know, he, he wasn't so much impressive with, um, you know, the goals and, and everything. Cause obviously they weren't as high as they've been from, you know, his first few years at Juventus, but you look at where he was a year ago, um, his last, the last year of Allegri. And he was, you know, pretty much played out on the right wing, which isn't, isn't his deal. And then, you know, Sari comes in and say what you want about him, but one of the benefactors of Sari's system that really never totally got implemented was Dybala. And, you know, he had the, he had the freedom to move wherever he wanted and really just found new energy. And he was, he had so many games where he played really well, but he didn't have the goal to show for it. I mean, I, I felt like I wrote that at least once or twice every month, but, yeah, I mean he he had a really good bounce back season from where he was a year ago just struggling to find any kind of form. And when you consider that he was one of the few Juventus players who actually had COVID-19 to do what he did and to play at the level that he did after the restart was all the more impressive to me. So, uh, I think he had a really good year. Um we've got, you know, pretty much <laughs> agreement from from a lot of our you know, our writers on the site that Dibala was probably the best player Juventus had. So, um, as much as Ronaldo was about the goals, um, Dibala was kind of the the creative source that Juventus desperately needed. Even though their midfield is still a black hole of I don't know what.
0: I assumed that Serie A just named him the league MVP, so they didn't have to deal with all of the comments on Twitter and Instagram from the Ronaldo fans which seems like a sound course of action to me. Not that you know anything about that, Danny. I, I don't know anything about that. I've, I've
4: nothing.
2: Every season, Dabala scores a wonder goal against Milan, so I'm very happy this season that <laughs> didn't happen. It didn't happen right. But, um, yeah, so I'm glad that his shooting boots weren't exactly like they were last year or the year before. Although, last thing I'd like to say about Dabala, it would be a huge shame. If the league did lose him. So I'm not sure what Juventus are planning under Pirlo, but selling Dabala, I'm not sure that's the right move for anybody.
4: You know, that's okay. We, co- we cover yeah. Juventus on a regular basis and we don't know what they're planning under Pirlo, too. So <laughs> you're not the only one.
0: Well, while we're on the subject of not knowing what we're doing or talking about, let's talk about refereeing in Italy because that's always fun. Mm. Uh, no real round table here. Just jump in as the spirit moves you. But what, what did you think about it this year? The standard of refereeing and officiating and how it was pretty much uniformly terrible. <laughs>
3: uh, I guess I'll, I'll, jump in first. Um, I don't know. I think all things considered, they do a pretty good job with VAR. It, it takes a hell of a long time. Um, but I, they seem like they've been on the, the vanguard at the forefront of implementing it and trying to figure out ways it works. Um, I don't know. I, I When I was researching a piece a couple of weeks ago, I, I did notice that Italy is like one of the high, second highest scoring league in Europe by the big five on Germany. Um, but much of that is due to the absurd amount of penalties, they call. Um, and I think anytime an Italian team goes to play in Europe with a non-Italian official, that's something you have to keep your eyes on, um, is that – Just the the way the different nations interpret various rules, handballs, offside, things like that, or is it just individual discretion, or is it a payola scheme? Who knows? Um, I go into every match just not knowing what to expect with them. I just hope that it doesn't, you know, the match doesn't hinge on one single call. But I guess my answer is hard to say because it's hard to really know what to expect from them every week.
2: Every time I hear a whistle, I just assume it's a penalty um it's gotten to that point where I think there was just off the top of my head a Juventus game where the defender cleared the ball the ball was going the opposite direction it was leaving the 18-yard box and um it struck their hand and it's definitely a handball but is a goal going to come from that I'm not entirely sure um see I've given up on the decisions this year but In general, I do find it interesting that all leagues have slightly different interpretations of what VAR should be. Surely you think that we would all decide um, to follow a certain group of rules and uh, leave it up to professionals to make that call. I don't think there'll ever be a stage in football where we're 100% happy with every single decision. In fact, I think we would lose something if that was the case. So... I'm not sure what happens in the future, but unfortunately next season I'm assuming more penalties, more handballs, more goals for Immobile and Ronaldo, right?
4: And I mean, the the fact that we don't really know what certain things are these days has to be the biggest issue that a lot of us have because, you know, we're watching it, we see something. And, you know, obviously we're seeing the replay before, you know, the, the on-field, you know, the center ref does, you know, it, it's just, it's just confusion. It's, it's just, you know, like you were mentioning Jeffrey the the um, you know, from one country to an, to another, it's different, different interpretations. And then that, that's the confusing part to me because you see, You know, something in Germany might go a certain way, whereas Italy, there might be a little twist on it and referees might view it a little differently. And then all of a sudden you head to, you know, a a European competition and it's, you know, you might see something that's called in Italy a certain way, but then all of a sudden it's not called in the Champions League a certain way. So um, I just think the – it's – VAR has helped in certain ways, but in other ways there's a whole lot more work that needs to be done with just how these referees read things and how the the things are called on the field, and then you know that's not even taking into consideration tackles that never happen against Lyon in the Champions League. I'm not bitter about that at all. So
2: no, definitely not right. <laughs> and um, the only thing, if I'm looking at it optimistically, is if in France if we're trying one thing, if in Italy we're trying one thing, and if in England and Spain. That's four different versions that we all get to view. So at least we can have a look and say, okay, Spain are doing it right, let's follow them. Or Italy are doing it right, let's follow them. So I guess ultimately, if you're looking at trial and error, maybe we can get somewhere. So I don't actually believe for a second anyone's doing it right. Um, but maybe by looking at different variables and different ways leaks are doing it, maybe ultimately that can help us reach the end goal of our But definitely short-term. I agree, Danny. I, I'm not sure what happens, really.
0: I think the lack of consistency from country to country is a problem, but I think the lack of consist- consistency from referee to referee is a bigger problem. I mean, Fiorentina lost a number of points this year. Again, no bitterness, of course, uh, because referees didn't review penalty decisions, which anyone looking at the screen could see were the opposite of what they awarded. I'm thinking sorry, Brendan, there was an incident an incident against Roma that resulted in a penalty given given for the Gialarosi against Fiorentina that was just absurdly bad, and that any review could have figured out both games against Lazio for Fiorentina. Same thing, Felipe Caicedo had a comically bad dive. Uh, in the first game of the season, Dries Mertens was possessed by ghosts and fell down in the area and Napoli got a penalty for it. There was no contact, it was very, you could see from, even from the still photos from the videos, there was no contact and he just fell over. And that is what Varis should be there to review. It's not Var to me that's the problem. It is the implementation. It's a good tool. Like any tool, you need the person who's using it to know how to use it. And until the referees all get together and figure out when they use it, when they don't, it's just going to be a
2: disaster. That is a very strong point that referees, so many times you think, great, they're going to review this and it's going to be the right decision and no review comes, I Personally, I don't understand why that is the case. So that's a strong point that I'm not sure why referees make the calls they do. Maybe there's a pressure depending on what home ground you're at or what type of game it is. But honestly, referees definitely have to uh, atone for these errors, I think. So hopefully we see more of that, like you said, Um it is interesting that referees get to make these calls based on their own opinion. So I'm not sure if we should make it stricter or less so. Um, Yeah, I for one completely lost about how to fix the problem.
1: I'm optimistic that the new handball law is at least gonna make a more uniform approach to those types of incidents in the box. It may not solve everything And it's definitely, actually, it's definitely not going to solve everything, but at least it could help some. I'm hopeful.
0: You and Matthias delict both. Yes. I think for for me, it's a matter of transparency, like so many things in Italian soccer and in wider Italian culture, that the people who have power really don't like anyone to see the decision-making process or see how the sausage gets made maybe allowing more people to look, to understand what that process is, because none of us know here, and we all write about Italian soccer. We should be fairly knowledgeable, and we're totally in the dark. I, I think that having some transparency and then some accountability would be great, especially given the historical context of Italian refereeing, which is very good.
1: I think MLS recently broadcasted the VAR conversations with the on TV. And I think if Syria did that, that would be instrumental. And I think once you know why something's being called the way it is, it's a lot harder to complain than if you have no idea whatsoever. And it's like someone's spinning a wheel to get the call. So I think... Syria really needs to do that. That's that would be huge.
0: David, are you alive?
2: I think oh. like interseason, it's over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we play tomorrow in uh your European League semi-final, but you wouldn't know about that. <laughs>
2: Honestly, Europa League, even though Milan fought for it this year, I honestly don't think any of us care.
0: As a Fiorentina fan, I definitely care because Champions League isn't happening. Let's not lie to ourselves. (laughs) Getting forward to European qualification and all of that, which does involve looking ahead a bit. Let's go back to the clockwise motion of the Zoom panels here. David, what are you most excited about for next year in Serie A?
1: Well, I think the competitiveness, there's a lot of potential for competitiveness at the top of the table. Juve is rebuilding. Inter can improve under Conte, and they couldn't make the jump to winning the Scudetto. Milan, as well, with the transfer window, they could be in contention. And Atalanta, if they just improve 10% more, the Scudetto could be theirs as well. I think Roma, they need a bit more help, but they could get there. And Lazio, I'm not sure about. I think that this year was an outlier for them. I think Immobile is not going to find the same goal-scoring shoes that he did this season. And I'm just not convinced unless um, Motito really breaks the bank and improves the squad a lot. Because balancing the Champions League and Serie A with the current depth they have is not going to end well. But I think we will definitely have another title race, and I'm very excited for it. Jeffrey?
2: So I completely agree. I hope that next season, finally, we see teams stepping up and Juventus not running away with a 10th consecutive Scudetto. I mean, 10 in a row. Is that even something that happens these days in football? I really hope not. So um, I think that this is a good time for the Serie I think um, with the teams having some big names, Cristiano Ronaldo, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, there's a little bit of excitement I'd say, with teams finally competing, the world gets more of a glimpse at Atalanta. They maybe hear about Omobile and his goal scoring. So I'd love for the league in general to really go out there and clubs like Milan um, and Lazio to strengthen further. So hopefully more big names can come in. And hopefully we can see the league finally push beyond um, the stereotypes. So... They're old, um, they're slow, everything that we hear over and over again. But we have some of the best free-flowing football teams in the in the world. Atlanta on their day will destroy anybody. Um, you might think of Barca circa a few years ago with lovely fluid football, attackers who can assist and score. So we have great teams and I think it's good that we can bring more attention to them. So next season, um, definitely I'm looking forward to bigger players joining the league, teams performing again, and obviously the rise of Milan, hopefully, finally, maybe not, but we can live and hope anyway.
0: Speaking of hope, Brendan, what are you looking forward to next year as a Roma fan (laughs) or a league fan?
3: Well, I, for one, am looking forward to a 10th straight title from Ju- Ju- Juventus. I just want to see what numbers and letters would use to spell out 10 on their clever social media feeds. At the, right. end.
4: <laughs> the hashtags have been the highlight of the Scudetto run, haven't they?
3: Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think how they'd spell the word T-E-N with what numbers they would sub in for that. Um, no, but on a serious note, I mean, kickoff is like a month away. Uh, and we're just so busy down the stretch with two matches a day. I know on our site we eclipsed 100 pieces in July. So I just kind of feel like when this next season starts, it's going to feel like a continuation of what we saw over the summer. So it's going to take me probably a couple matches to realize that no, this is the 2020-2021 season. Um, but I, I like to echo what, what uh, Jeffrey said. I, I think and I hope that we'll see some more players come from abroad, people who are you know 25 or 26 as opposed to you know 33 or 34 because um, I, I, I do think that stereotype of slow and stodgy play is sort of wasting away year by year. Um, so the more in prime town you could bring in, I think the better it would be. Uh, but having said that, you know, Messi and his uncle both bought apartments in Milan, so I'm sure they're going to Inter next year, especially after what you read about Barcelona today. Um, but I, I think it's, it's getting a more competitive league, but um, I think if we reconvene a year from now, it'll be Juventus for number 10, unfortunately. Danny?
4: Are you with him on that? Uh, well, seeing as Juventus's current manager has never managed a game before.
3: Um, look at his hair and his beard. He knows what he's doing.
4: (laughs) I'm also curious.
2: I'm certainly hope that's the case. Is Pirlo a Juventus legend? I always wanted to ask this question.
4: We had that debate in our comment section, which I mean, if you want to venture through 300 comments a day, you're more than welcome to, but, uh, we had that discussion. I forget how it came up, but um, it was just, you know, people were like, was he around long enough to be considered a legend? Was he, I mean, obviously he's going to be remembered for his time at Milan first and foremost and what he did there. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of, I do view him as one, but there were definitely be people pushing back as, I mean, just, you see what he meant to not only, Juve's you know comeback under Conte you know not 10 years ago but just what what he allowed them to do in terms of going from I mean two straight seventh place finishes to then all of a sudden winning the title an unbeaten season and I mean he was he was you know one of their best players from I mean right away I mean you look at I mean he he did it his first game in Juventus jersey just you know dropping you know perfectly placed passes to Licksteiner on the wing, you know, against Parma. And then off off they went for, you know, obviously nine years now. So, I mean, it, it's – he he is in my book. But, I mean, there are definitely people who don't think he is just because he wasn't, you know, around Turin
2: as long as he was in, in Milan. And unlike a Pirlo pass, I'm sorry to put you off track. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no, but, I mean, speaking of
4: Pirlo, I mean, that's that's one of the interesting – most interesting things for me and not just because he's the new manager of my favorite team you know you look at him and he checks all the boxes in terms of you know the kind of player he was obviously he's got the the style as bren mentioned the style and the elegance and all that and the mind for it it's just you want to see what he is as an actual manager and that's why the the stories about you know what formation he wants and what kind of way he wants to play are kind of amusing because we won't know as Juventus fans, what Pirlo wants until we actually see him in a game and what his vision of, of, of how this team should play. And obviously it's a, as Maurizio Sarri found out, it was definitely a flawed team with a big gaping hole in midfield. So will Pirlo, if he wants to play a, you know, an up-tempo, you know, quick passing kind of team you know it helps that Blaise Matuidi isn't around as much as I I love Matuidi but you know it's just Juventus's biggest question mark is the guy who's making all the decisions so um, there's that but I think the most exciting thing for me is going to be Atalanta to see what they do after this year because you know outside of their struggles they would have probably won the title or their early season struggles so you know, seeing if they can put a complete season together after everything that happened this year—not only in Bergamo, but just their team in general. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're—I mean—they're I mean, they're the most exciting team in the country, and you know, they're—they're they're the ones that you know obviously won a lot of people over with how they played in Europe as well.
0: That's fair. I think for me, what I'm most excited about on a league-wide level is one. Going back to the youth movement in Syria, uh, I think there are more good young players in the league right now than I can ever remember. I mean, you get guys like Delict, Tonali, Zagnolo, even down to like Jeremy Boga. There are so many good young players who a decade ago would have been on loan in Syria Bay. For another three years before they were given a shot and seeing how they have changed the dynamic in the league has been really fun and it's made it a lot better and i think attracted a lot more talent the other thing i'm interested in seeing and i think that we all are is just how weird the mercato is going to be because no one knows what's going to happen i think that italian teams have a lot more financial power now than collectively than they have for a while but also, since everything is so scrambled right now, no one knows how to evaluate players and how much they should cost. And that's going to be fascinating to see play out to me.
2: Boca is such an interesting player. I'd actually like Milan to pick him up. I'm not sure how much that would cost. But, I mean, the guy has amazing skills, fast. I don't see why bigger teams aren't sniffing around him, actually. Maybe they are, but... At least I haven't heard much rumor-wise.
0: And there's so many other players like him on sort of mid-table to lower-table teams. Half of Hellas Verona's team seems like it's guys under the age of 24 who are really good, despite the fact that the team wasn't great. I mean, Marash Kumbula say... I'm just intrigued by that and to see how the league can build on that and also to see how it will probably shoot itself in the foot. Let's zoom in more on each of our individual teams here as we start moving towards the end of this. David, who is your player of the year for Inter Milan?
1: For me, that's got to be Romelu Lukaku. This has been his first season, but he's really blown away all expectations. He scored 23 times in the league, but in all competitions, he's at over 30, which is simply incredible. And keeping him around for two or three more seasons will be great to see because I think he's going to score a lot, to say the least.
0: Yeah, I am with you for Inter. Definitely Lukaku all the way. Jeffrey, who do you have for Milan? Milan.
2: I was going to pick someone different, but Zlatan came to my house and I had to pick Zlaltan. Um, he's just too good. I mean, age is clearly just a number, and you can see that with Messi, Ronaldo, and Zlaltan. Um, since he came to Milan, he's changed everything. We went from a team who, honestly, we wouldn't come back from a goal down. If we're losing, I'd more or less write the game off. Um, under Giampaolo we really didn't have any type of style and I would say even under Pioli we, we did struggle a little bit but with Slalton, it became very simple. He does demand the ball. People often look at him as a greedy player, a selfish player but this is his second spell now at Milan and he's far from a selfish player. One of the, the best teammates I'd say you can have. Yes, he does moan and he does demand that he gets the ball even when he's not in a good position but it's Zlatan Ibrahimovic he he does something and that's why Ronaldo Juventus is the same and that's why I don't begrudge him getting the MVP but definitely for me for Milan Zlatan Ibrahimovic there's no other person
0: very good take from Zlatan's house which used to be your house Brendan who do you have
3: uh, I'm going to continue with the moaning and demanding the ball theme and say Edin Dzeko. Um So 19 goals and I think like eight or nine assists in all competitions. Um, he moved into a tie for fourth place on Roma's all-time scoring list. Um, not my favorite player, but you bundle it all together and that's our MVP, clear cut. Um, I mean, I think if Zaniolo had gotten hurt, he could have been in the conversation and Mkhitaryan had a great second half, but uh, everything Roma does in attack revolves around Jacko, so he was our our clear cut winner. Danny, you going to continue the striker theme?
4: Yeah, I mean, like I joked earlier, it definitely ain't going to be a defender. So, um, which for Juventus is kind of weird, but yeah, I'll. I mean, as much as I love Dybala and I love the season that he had, I mean, I think Ronaldo, he was he was just the guy who bailed them out. I mean, we talked so much on our site about. Uh, singular moments, really saving Juventus rather than total team performances making the difference. And I think, you know, you look at obviously the goals that Ronaldo had um, and, you know, there was a stretch where it seemed like he scored for, you know, three straight months. So, um, you know, as as much as people think I hate Ronaldo, I'm going to go with Ronaldo as Juve's as best player.
0: Maybe you're just saying that to confuse people
4: even more. That's right. That's right. I'm trying to get our iTunes rating up for, for our podcast, so that's why I'm saying. <laughs> oh,
0: well, this isn't going to help. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to buck the trend here because Fiorentina had some truly atrocious play up top this year on those rare occasions when they actually fielded a striker. And I'm going to go with Nikola Milenkovic, who I think was one of the best defenders in the league this year. I think it's worth pointing out that after Giuseppe Iacchini took over at Fiorentina, they had the best defensive record in the league, which surprised me because it did seem like they leaked in a lot of goals. But Milenkovic finally took that next step we've been waiting for for the past two years and looks like he is just an incredibly complete defender. He's obviously enormous. We call him the mountain that kicks at a viola nation because he looks kind of like Gregor Clegane but he's also horrifyingly athletic for someone that big. Reads the game really well, especially after the restart was almost never in the wrong place. His tackling is really good. He's got really quick feet for such a tall person. And he finally put it together and became the set piece threat that we wanted him to be.
2: I really look forward to watching him partner Romagnoli next season.
0: I hate you so much. (laughs)
2: There are rumors though, right? There, um, there
0: are. I just why, why why would you do that to me?
2: You know, Milan comes first. That's just the way it is, and maybe law time decided, I'm not sure.
0: Here I thought Milan came about seventh.
2: Well, only for seven years or something like that.
0: <laughs> Again, I'm saying this as a fan of Fiorentina who are absolute garbage. So this is all in good fun. I would I would like to mention that, but no really. No Milankovic for you, ever. No, I I have... Mm. No, I've I've lit too many candles in my shrine here for that to happen. I don't want a piece of it. So, next question, going back around. David, who is your best young player for Inter Milan? And define that as you wish.
1: Alessandro Bastoni is pretty much the only choice, but he's a fantastic one. He really stepped up this year and was, like, De, like Devage, he was a huge part of our defense. And he's only, like, 21, so he's only going to get better. And I think he can really be one of the best center backs in the world if he keeps up improving.
0: Yeah, he seems like the perfect football manager piece if you're a big nerd.
1: His Uh, ball-playing skills are exquisite. He's had some assists that you would think would come from a midfielder rather than center-back.
0: Really not looking forward to Fiorentina playing him twice a year for the next decade.
1: You'll have bigger things to worry about when we play you than just our center-back. I mean, it's Fiorentina. We have
0: bigger things to worry about no matter what's happening. Jeffrey, who do you have for best young player
2: in Milan? Finally, Milan have a batch of really talented young players. So this one was very hard for me to answer this season. Um, But I'll choose Rafael Leal. I think that he came in with a big price tag, a lot of expectation. And admittedly, he hasn't lived up to that yet. But with Zlatan Ibrahimovic in the team, he's not going to be playing from the start. And if he does get the rare opportunity, it's always out of position on the left or on the right side of the front free trident. But definitely this year, he scored a lot of very nice goals. Um, One of them definitely could have been considered goal of the season, um, dribbling past multiple players and then slotting home beautifully into the bottom corner. So I expect big things from him moving forward. Um, Very young, very fast, very strong. Very talented, so I just hope it's not another Pato.
0: I think I described him in the write-up after the uh, the Fiorentina game that the Viola won at the San Siro, and he got the consolation goal as a refrigerator on rocket skates. He's outrageous. That goal was just stupid good.
2: Was that goal against Fiorentina? I I forgot that, but um, oh yeah. yeah. Did you I mean, forget anything
0: else about that game? Is that where we're driving at here?
2: I definitely <laughs> forgot the result. I have no idea what happened. So
0: Nothing. I, I wouldn't worry about it.
4: Uh, that's, that's right, Tito. I for, I've forgotten a certain Milan game, too, that, that my favorite team <laughs> played. So, you know.
2: Oh, thank you for bringing that up. I've been waiting for the right chance.
4: <laughs> I beat you to it.
2: <laughs> you beat me to it. But yeah, it's not every day. When was the last time we actually won a game against Juventus? Was it three years or so? Yeah, it's been a little while. It had to come eventually. And I mean from two 0 down that's this pretty nice way to do it.
1: Don't forget the other time a team came back from two 0 down to win.
2: <laughs> At the minute I don't even care about Inter. It's all about Juventus <laughs> in that first place spot, you know?
0: Oh, I you was gonna make long? I was gonna make a Giuseppe Rossi joke just to give Danny some nightmares tonight, but we can go with the other one. Thank you, Tuto. You're welcome. Sweet dreams. Uh, Brendan, who do you have for best young player at Roma?
3: Sure. Um, I mean, if we were discussing the women's team, it would be a lot harder because there's a ton of talented under 23 players there. But um, for the men, it's the same answer as it was last year. The same answer would be for the next couple of years. It's Daniolo. Um, I think he had like eight goals, four assists in all competitions. And so you consider that he tore a ACL in the middle of the year. Uh, the fact that he was even able to come back was a miracle. And the fact that he earned some starts, scored a couple goals. Um, he's just so big, so explosive, so, so talented. Um, you know, Roma hasn't touched the number 10 since Tati was forced out. But there's been some discussions on our board amongst fans who's worthy of it. And he's the clearest example, the clearest indicator of someone who could potentially wear that for Roma. Um, I wouldn't want to be the person to wear that um, just after Tati. I think that's setting someone for failure. Uh, but he's our young player of the year. If he wasn't hurt, he probably would have been our player of the year. Full stop. Yeah, I'm still gutted that Fiorentina let him go.
0: Uh, Danny, who do you got for Juventus? Are there any young players on that team, or is it all thirty something? There
4: ain't else? many. There ain't many. But I, I think, uh, I think just going off of Zaniolo for a second. That picture that you know, Bryn uh so brilliantly used of the one where uh, he's
3: parting the seas with his hands yes yes
4: and <laughs> tito and i wanted to say that tito would get enjoyment out of it because i believe one of the players getting you know socially distanced by Zaniolo's arm was uh federico wow. Berendesi. so that's you
3: know. right, right in the face <laughs> so
4: good uh for a young player i it, it really was it, if it was the first half of the season, I definitely would have said Rodrigo Bentecourt, my son, my large adult son. But uh, as a whole, I think Matthijs De Ligt, and I hope I said that if, if our resident Dutchman Chucks ever hears this. Um, yeah, I think De Ligt, you know, obviously he struggled jumping in for Chiellini right away the first couple months. And then, of course, he just – you know, has the stupid shoulder separation against Atalanta in November, and he's dealing with that for the rest of the year. But I mean, after January, there was, I mean, he was just absolutely nails and uh, you know, it really just gave you glimpses of what the delict from Ajax was when they were making that run in the champions league. And uh, you know, he's obviously had shoulder surgery this past week. Um, What a way to spend your 21st birthday, by the way, going under a knife to get your, separated shoulder finally uh fixed but when he comes back in November I think you know he's hopefully going to pick up right where he left off because um who knows what Juventus is going to be looking like at that point and he was just such a constant presence in the defense as you know Leonardo Bonucci made kind of those classic Leonardo Bonucci mistakes every now and then so uh you know Chiellini obviously up in age is coming off of, you know, as Brent knows, a, an, another serious injury from that Roma game in January. So, um, yeah, I think Dillick's presence his you know, he's really kind of one of the few players who show that old school Juve Grinta that, you know, has been lacking these last few years. And just, you know, he's he's going to have to become a leader on this team because it's it's one that's, as you know, as much as it's still the team to beat in Serie A, they're one in transition knowing how old they are. So um yeah, I, I mean he's he's big, he's strong, he's tough. I mean he's everything you want in a defender. And he's he's the centerpiece of this team going into the future once these older players move along these next few years.
0: Yeah, he's just stupid good despite all the
2: handballs. Yeah. You think he justifies the transfer fee?
4: Yeah. If if it's the delict that we saw from about February on, he he looked like the eighty five million euro man. I mean, it was he was just. I mean, with you you look at <laughs> you look at the games where he was rested as compared to when he was in there, and I mean, it, it was just it was it was night and day. And um, yeah, I I think as time goes on, he'll really start to prove that transfer fee to be totally worth it if it, if he hasn't already cuz like i said he was just he was he was just their rock in center of defense even though juventus allowed the most goals that they've had in a decade so
0: it was fun watching him leak in all those goals uh, of course it was speaking of leaking in for inputs. you oh yeah absolutely <laughs> Who else would i be talking about besides everyone else sitting here I think for me, for Fiorentina, best young player has to be Milenkovic. obviously. If you're the best player, you're also the best young player if you're young, which he is. Uh, I think that Federico Chiesa deserves a shout because he's also obviously very good, but a little bit hot and cold. Gaetano Castrovilli, same thing, but it it has to be Milenkovic for Fiorentina, no question.
4: Can I just jump in and ask you a question about Chiesa real quick? Sure, yeah. So, obviously, he's one of kind of the great hopes of this new Italian generation, right? Um, him and Zaniolo and, and others. Uh, I mean, he's, what, going to be 23 soon, I think. Um, is he – I mean, you mentioned how hot and cold he is, and that's kind of his reputation in these last few years, and I think that's why, at least from our end, a lot of Juve fans were like, yeah, I don't know about paying that much money for him. Has he – Did he show – was this season a step forward for him or was it just kind of the, the same as it was last year where it was like, okay, we know he's got the talent, but it's just about him finding the consistency for it?
0: That's effectively impossible to answer just because he has been the best player on the team since he was a teenager. He's been surrounded by some truly atrocious lineups. And it's hard for anyone to look like a very good player in those circumstances, week in, week out, no matter how good they are. I mean, unless you're Leo Messi, and even then the results aren't always going to go your way. (laughs) So I think that Chiesa, what he needs more than anything is some steadiness, both in who his coach is. Hopefully having Beppe Iacchini signed on is going to help with that. And then also he needs some players he can really build a relationship with on the field. I think that having Patrick Cutrone, who's his teammate at the U21 level, is probably very useful for that. That said, too, his contract is up at the end of next year, so if he doesn't sign an extension pretty soon, Tarantino are pretty much going to have to sell him to get anything back from him instead of letting him leave on a free. Yeah, the short answer is, who knows? I think that he probably is that good. (laughs) But we're not going to know until he has a team and a coach that can bring out his best consistently.
2: I can jump in a little bit, just having a quick look at his stats for the season, 10 goals, nine assists. That's pretty good output for a 22 year old, 23 year old. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely going forward, it'll be very interesting. Number one, does he stay with Fiorentina? Does he sign that new contract? Or where does he go Um, at the minute? Does he start for any of the big teams in Syria? Does he start for Juventus or Milan, Inter? It's um, hard to say, so I'm not sure if the outlay, initial outlay of how much would it take to sign Chiesa. um, Sorry about the pronunciation, but are we talking 40 million, 50 million, 60 million?
0: The number we've heard is 70 million from Comiso, the team owner. So... I'm willing and, to agree on that.
4: Viol- podcast guest Rocco Commisso. Oh, yeah,
0: our old buddy Rocco. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so that is a huge figure. Um, how many teams can afford that right now, and does he start? So I think those are two big questions on him.
0: The other funny thing about Chiesa is that since his dad, also a professional, also an Italian international has been advising him for his whole career. I think his dad has a really good perspective on how the business works, which is a resource that a lot of young players don't have. I think that's probably why Chiesa has spent so long in Florence, instead of jumping at a move elsewhere to go sit on the bench and doing a Bernardeschi, who moved before he was ready. It really does come down to the transfer work this summer. If the team can put bring in some more pieces and convince him that the project is worth sticking around for. He seems to be fairly happy in Florence. His family lives there, his brother's in the academy. My sense is that he would probably rather stay, but if the club doesn't show enough ambition to meet his expectations, which should be high, he is a really good player, I would imagine he would want out. So next topic Always a fun one. Mm-hmm. Flop of the year. David, who was Inter's biggest disappointment this season?
1: It wasn't his fault, but Christian Erickson is definitely worthy of that honor. He came in for twenty million midway through the season and since then has had just four goals and two assists in twenty-four appearances which is a lot less than what we would expect from a player of his quality. But it really hasn't been his fault. He doesn't fit under Conte's system. And then when Conte's tried to fix it and play a 3-4 1-2, it just hasn't worked out. And he's done a lot of sitting on the bench, which has been a big shame to see of a player that we all know is as good as he is. Do
0: you but. think that having a an off-season, even a very truncated one like we're going to have now, will that give Conte enough time to figure out how to get him to connect with everyone and mesh him in? Or do you think this is just what it's going to be?
1: I think Ericsson definitely needs to adapt a bit more. But I think if we received an offer that was big enough, I think he'd definitely be out the door. But it would take him like a 50, 60 million offer, which is a lot. So I'd be fine keeping him. I think with, uh, as you say, with an off season under his belt, he could start putting in some bigger numbers and maybe double digits in goals or assists. Jeffrey, who do you have
0: for Milan?
2: Unfortunately, our right back position is not one to be very proud of. Conti, unfortunately, since joining a few seasons ago, there's really only one word to say about him, which was um, injured, constantly, never available. And even when we finally get him back, he just looks out of place, not defensively aware, can't make a pass. I usually don't like to be too hard on players, but... It's one of the things I'm greatly looking forward to moving into next season. We've been linked with a lot of very talented right backs. Unfortunately, again, because of Conti, it looks like we may lose Calabria. And he's actually a player I find to be very, very useful. He works hard for the team. He's come through the youth ranks and he had a good end to the season. So it's a real shame that to avoid capital losses, we would rather sell or our youth product for a profit rather than get rid of the player who simply isn't good enough for the team. So, Conti, if you're listening, thank you for all of your hard work, and uh, I hope you get better.
0: Selling academy players for capital gain does sort of seem to be a feature for Milan under Elliott's management. I mean, Patrick Cutrone is the one who jumps out to me. Locatelli, do you you think that Calabria is going to be
2: the next one? Definitely. So he's already been linked with a few Spanish clubs. Um, And again, I think that he could fetch quite a reasonable sum. So I think currently the reported figures are about 16 million euro, which isn't too bad for a... Honestly, in my opinion, I think he's a a starting material right back for Milan, but due to lack, lack of consistency and mainly confidence, he hasn't really shown game in game out what he's capable of but like you said we've been getting rid of some truly talented players like Locatelli um and then obviously Catrone and the fees that we're receiving simply aren't high enough um when we got rid of Catrone he went to the Premier League um things didn't go very well for him and then immediately they sold him on for a profit after that year so he came from Milan when he was doing quite well um And then after a bad year, they sold him for more than what we initially got. So I do think that looking at youth, there are good deals to be made. Um, A few years ago, we brought in a young French center back um, for about uh, 250,000 euro and quickly sold him on again for 5 million um, within a six-month period. Uh, Again, sorry for the pronunciation, but Jiao, um, D-J-A-O, was that player? So I'd like to see more deals like that moving forward where Milan bring in young players, develop them slightly, and then can sell on for good profits. But these are players that mainly would feature for middle to lower half Serie A squads.
0: And I guess having guys like Conte around makes that very tough to do. Uh, Bren, who is your flop of the year at Roma?
3: Sure, uh, that would be for me, Paul Lopez. Um, goalkeeper they bought from Real Betis last summer for 23 and a half million euros and promptly gave him a three million euro salary. Um, I think the transfer fee, if I remember if my math was correct, was like the 10th or 11th highest fee ever paid for a keeper. Um, and so during our goalkeeper reviews, I ran through the stats and he's not only not in the top 10, he's not average. He's below average, like ranking below 20th in some certain categories. He's decent enough out of the box with his ball and his feet, but um, He's just not aggressive enough, um, especially if balls in the air. Uh, I think he's just a little bit slow off the line, seems to misread and mistime things. Uh, I just, you know, considering what they paid for him, just the results were not commensurate with the price. I mean, if they'd paid even half, you know, that would be fine, but that was a significant investment and there's already, you know, several rumors I read uh, pretty much every week about who they're looking to replace him. So that'll be like, I think, the fifth or sixth straight year with a different goalkeeper. Um, so they really just sort of, Took a knee on that one. He yeah, just did not work out at all. Um, other than that, I'd say Javier Pastore, just because he's Javier Pastore, and he never plays, and he costs 30 <laughs> million euros, but Monchi's still a genius, apparently.
2: And uh, <laughs> Brandon, it's your time mentioned. to shine. Yeah. <laughs> right, a goalkeeper yeah. position.
3: I could do it. Uh, if they let me wear my old hockey pads, I'll get in there, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: having the stick would probably make that a lot easier.
3: It might, yeah, and the leg pads might slow you down a bit. But
0: (laughs) Danny, who do you have for flop of the year? I'm going to go out on a limb and say midfield or defense.
4: (laughs) Well, if he was actually given a team that was corrected properly, I'd probably say Mauricio, sorry. But, uh, yeah, midfield is definitely the spot. um, And Bren was mentioning uh, people who probably deserve – Less than their actual salary than their actual salary warrants. So if he thinks Paul Lopez makes a lot, then Aaron Ramsey making seven million euro net a season is probably right on the money with with that line of thinking. Uh, Obviously, he came from Arsenal with the caveat of that he's injured a lot and that kind of hindered his development over the years. And well, he spent a season where injuries prevented him from really getting worked into the squad in the first half of the year, and then he got playing time. He didn't look great in that playing time, as Mauricio Sarri was trying to find a a Cortista that actually worked when he went to the 4-3-1-2 for a little bit, and then injury slowed him down again, and, um, you know, as much as, you know, he's a player that made sense in terms of what he potentially brings to the table that potentially brings to the table aspect of his game never really showed. And, you know, for much of the restart, he was a player who was coming off the bench and he never really did much off the bench uh, as, you know, managers had five, sub, five subs instead of three. And yeah, I mean, he was just, he didn't really do all that much. I mean, he had a few goals uh, made it made, a few decent, you know, link up between, you know, the midfield and and the attacking line, but yeah, he really had a forgettable kind of season. And, you know, now there's rumors of if he's going back to the premier league or if he's going to stick around. So uh, he, he's definitely one of those players where uh, Juve, at least right now, Juve are paying him more than he's worth and, you know, will they actually be able to get that salary off the books? So, uh, yeah, I really – as much as I wanted to to believe in him and see that he could be a useful player for this team, uh, who who knows right now because, you know, there's so many question marks revolving around Juventus and their midfield.
0: I really thought he was exactly what they needed in a vacuum and then turned out in practice to not have that at all. Yeah. I, I will say, though, I'm glad that you dropped the Maurizio Sarri shot in there because I'm going future with Coach Elsa.
4: Future Fiorentino manager. Maurizio Sarri. Yeah,
1: maybe. You know what? I hear
0: they have <laughs> cigarettes in Florence, so he could probably be attracted to the job. Uh, but, yeah, keep, keeping with the manager thing, I'm going with Vincenzo Montella, who took what what is a fairly talented squad on paper and turned it into an extremely boring and bad team with a poor defense, a midfield that could neither retain the ball nor offer any penetration and forwards who were not strikers and therefore didn't score. And it was simply horrible to watch the players didn't know what they were doing. They looked confused and disinterested. And so did, so did Vinny. Let's wrap this up. One more round of questions. David, what is one thing you learned about Inter Milan this year?
1: The main takeaway was that pa- pa- Pazza Enter is going to be a lot harder to shake than Antonio Conte thought. He came in, he said it was going to be gone, no more Pazza Enter. A year later, here we are. If we get a lot more quality, this isn't going to be such a big deal because games won't be as close, or at least we'll be able to pick up more points, and it won't be games like that that can define our season. But... It's a bit more sturdy of a reputation than we thought, or at least Kante thought.
0: On the plus side, maintaining that identity through so many managers in so many years is pretty commendable. To the other side of the Milan aisle, Jeffrey, what was your one thing that you learned?
2: Well, rather than learn anything, I think, as any Milan fan will say, we just need consistency. And unfortunately, with owners that are very likely looking for the first sign of profit and a sell, I'm not sure we're going to get that anytime soon. So at the minute, we're riding high on the end of the season and we're enjoying some very talented players. But certainly we need to find a management that's going to come in, take the reins, have a clear vision, and then let the other staff do their job. For example, Maldini, Boban, I mean, honestly, we're at the point where we're hiring and firing people, not giving them proper chances, and we just need to let them do their job.
0: Almost seems like Maurizio Zamparini must be running the Elliott hedge funds, given the personnel decisions over there.
2: I did hear there was an influx in cigarette purchases, so you never know.
0: <laughs> uh, Brent, what, what is your one thing that you learned this year about
3: Roma? One thing? Are you kidding me. One thing? Oh yeah, no, we're we're really gonna drill down on this. Oh god. Um, <laughs> around our community, we have a saying. It's usually on the website, in italics called Roma happened. So anything you can't explain, it's just Roma happened. Blow a goal lead at the end. Roma happened. Sell a player. Roma happened. Um, god, one thing. Um, I would say we're still too over over reliant on Ed and Dzeko, So when he's not playing or he's not playing well. There's really no other option. Um, So I I think or I hope they're trying to solve that this summer, trying to find somebody else. Um, And I also throw a shout out that we still have the best shirts in the league, despite my aversion to advertisers. Um, But again, Roma happened. They're cutting ties with Nike after such a great run. So that's just what it's like.
4: Those blue blue ones you guys
3: had this year were just – I mean, those – Oh, that was dope, yeah. Um, Those
4: were some of the nicest ones I've seen in a while.
3: But it's just like when things just, I don't know. You can't encapsulate what it's like to be a Roman fan by learning one thing. Uh, it's just, you don't know, and it persists continually. You just don't know.
0: Hey, man, I was, was just that? trying to
3: wrap this up quickly so you could get to your chicken and broccoli, okay? <laughs> well, that might change. You guys still got to make it. So it might be a, a breakfast or dinner night, something
2: quick. With a meal like that, I hope you're working out or doing some type of high level fitness. <laughs> Goalkeeper training. That's right. In the hockey that's goes. it. Goalkeeper training. Nice.
3: I gotta go back and tie myself to one of those elastic ropes and work on my charges up the line. <laughs> <laughs> Annie, uh, what's your what's
0: your one thing for the year?
4: I want to say that Juventus doesn't really have a plan because who the hell knows where they're going with this Pirlo hire? But um, yeah, I mean, it's it just it, it it's just I think now that we're two years out is that just kind of how much the Ronaldo signing has changed things in terms of, you know, how the identity of the team might be and how they want to play better stylistically. And obviously Saudi's hiring in theory was a step in that direction, but, you know, just because you've signed Ronaldo doesn't mean that you're instantly a Champions League contender. Um, as we've been saying on the site for years now, the midfield has needed, you know, much, you know, drastic improvement. And as much as, you know, I'm a fan of Bentoncourt and Rabiot had a good couple months after the restart. There's been a lot of free transfers that haven't worked out. I mean, Emre Chan has, was never really all that great at Juventus. And then you look at him at Dortmund and he's really good. Uh, obviously, we touched on Ramsey. Um, other players haven't done all that great. Obviously, Pianich is now a Barcelona player. Uh, we don't know what Artur is going to bring next season just yet. So, um, you know, as, as much as you bring in somebody like Ronaldo, you also bring that microscope. And I think, um, you know, Juventus being even more under the microscope now has really brought out their weaknesses and you know you you look at how they finished the season you know the last what six or so weeks they didn't storm their way to the Scudetto I mean we were joking before we hit record here that you know they only won the title by one point so that'll make Antonio Conte even grumpier than he usually is Um, and yeah I mean it's just you know you 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 might want to play a certain way but Ronaldo dictates a lot of what you can actually do. So, um, he's not only dominating that, but he's also dominating what they can do financially because he's got such a massive salary as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, two years out we're we're kind of sitting here thinking, is the Ronaldo signing really kind of showing what we all hoped it might. And obviously it was first and foremost, I think it was meant for more, uh, Competition on the European stage, and you know, you look at Juventus dumped out in the quarterfinals by Ajax, and dumped out in the round of 16 by Lyon. Well, <laughs> if if it's Europe, you're going for Europe. Really hasn't gotten the job done. So,
2: I do feel like saying it seems like Galliani has taken over the Juventus management, <laughs> signing players on high wages, high profile. Doesn't yeah. work out. Rinse and repeat.
4: Turn your mic on, Tito. Can anybody else hear him?
2: No,
3: I can't
4: hear him. <laughs> okay, I'm not the only one then. Can
3: we just take over now?
4: That's right. We're taking over. Welcome <laughs> we to, to the watch. old lady speech on black and white and Wait, red no, all over.
3: No, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I always knew it would end like this, just like the fortune teller <laughs> said.
4: We had our chance, Ben. We had our chance.
0: <laughs> uh, that was good. Uh, yeah, I think for me, what I learned about Fiorentina is that even with a new – owner new manager eight new starters the team is still cursed crazy VAR decisions inability to get a stadium built I've got a list of things that goes about 17 lines deep here yeah I think
4: so are you talking are you talking about Fiorentina or are you talking about Romo
2: mentioning the stadiums
0: uh, oh Fiorentina too they are in the midst of an absolute (laughs) stadium mess yeah
2: Yeah. Um, everyone not also trying to get a stadium I think so right yeah. It's just a big mess in Italy right now.
0: As are most
4: things.
2: <laughs> Which is very much on brand,
4: exactly. Yeah,
0: no, again, maintaining that identity is great. So it's not, it's not like Pazza Inter, where it's sort of charming. So I think for me, it's just that uh, no matter what happens, it's still Fiorentina. And until we get a really, really good exorcist,
3: it will remain Fiorentina. Does the curse have a name? The like curse of Bambino or the Billy Goat? No, it's, it's just, curse of as the
0: world's foremost Audrey and fetishist, I resent that. <laughs> uh, no, there, there's no name. It's just, it is the curse that has no name. That works. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's my takeaway for the season. And with that, I think we're drawing to a close. Fellow Serie A SB Nation vlog idiots, thank you for coming on and chatting
2: welcome fellow idiot (laughs) pleasure (laughs) thanks again guys
3: yeah you're welcome i didn't know we were going to be insulted like that at the end but this was fun (laughs)
1: thanks so much for having me and we'll do this again sometime maybe see you later everybody huge
0: thanks to david from serpents vinter jeffrey from the ac milan offside bren from chiesa ditotti and danny from black and white and red all over for joining me on this extra special edition of viola station Tito produced this episode. Our music is Great Catch by Wind chime Weather. Check out their stuff at windchimeweather.bandcamp.com. Viola Station is the Viola Nation podcast. Viola Nation is part of the SB Nation network. Forza Viola.
3: Sports Social Podcast Network.